Hey, thanks. Thanks for coming by. <laughs> I was going to say thanks for the nuts. Yeah, I hope you like them. They're mixed. <laughs> Some berries in there. Yeah, they tasted mixed. So Not salted, because we got to watch our sodium as we get older. Those were unsalted? Yeah. Wow. You wouldn't know it. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that they weren't. Check it out. Your local Ralph's. Uh, not sponsored. Power mix. We haven't done an ad in a while. Should yeah, do an ad. We're going to in the next one of the next ones. All right. On top of all that, the Hawkeye trailer came out today. Oh yeah. Not Hot Guy. Hot Guy. Hawk Eye <laughs> trailer. Which is the story of Hawkeye <laughs> handing off his mantle to young Hawkeye. Right. Kate Bishop. Kate Bishop. Is she also called Hawkeye? During Christmas. Hot girl. <laughs> <laughs> Haley Steinfeld, right? She's on the come up, or has been for years, technically. She's great. I think she's going to kill it. Yeah, this is the new Disney Plus Hawkeye series in lieu of like WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Loki. It's going to follow Hawkeye. Apparently, it's a Die Hard remake. It looks like Die Hard with a Hawkeye. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And with Lethal Weapon, Buddy Cop, Swing, during Christmas in New York and the whole plot is that Hawkeye needs to get back to his kids for Christmas, which if that ends up actually being the plot of the show, that will automatically, even though I love Christmas, like you a love lot, Christmas. Like a lot, it's going to put a dent in it for me. Why, why would that put a dent in it for you? I just think Hawkeye needs more than like, oh, I got to get back to my family. Even though that was his main driving motive and story throughout all the Avengers films. But like, I think he just needs more. What more is there than saving Christmas? (laughs) Oh, man. I am, like, kind of interested in, like, a Marvel Christmas-era, Christmas-themed... Phase? Venture. Yeah, movie or television show. Or series That's interesting to me. That could be cool. Yeah. Anyway, you had a good time this weekend at the movies. I did, yeah. For one night. You saw a triple feature. Friday. I took advantage of my Regal Unlimited, and I, I did. I saw a triple feature. You saw Candyman. Candyman. Then Malignant. Which then Malignant. And it's a <laughs> back-to-back spooky movie, and then finished it off with Paul Schrader's new movie, The Card Counter, which was not a horror film, at least not outrightly so, maybe a little existential horror. but you talk about who Paul Schrader is a little bit? Yeah, he's sort of... The last name of the golden generation of, I think there's there's a better name for them, what people refer to them as, but like the Scorsese and the Spielbergs of the 20th century of cinema. Mm-hmm. So that, I think he was the one that actually wrote Taxi Driver for Scorsese. Oh, right. So that was his like, his original. It's a me, a Scorsese. Yeah. Remember that from the Irishman podcast? Yes. It's a me, the Nero. It's a me, a He has a career of his own, though, as a director, and he made First Reformed four years ago, which was kind that's of... The, that's the title of the movie. Yeah. First Reformed. First Reformed was that indie darling. Uh, I don't know if it was A24 or not, but it was that quiet little movie about Ethan Hawke as a pastor in what I think was New England, and he's just going through an existential crisis of his own. Really liked that one, but I had no idea Paul Schrader was doing this one. I was just curious about it because it had Oscar Isaac, and I'm a huge Oscar Isaac stan. I love that man. An Oscar Isaac what? Stan. It's what you call it where uh, you're like a big fan of that thing. I'm learning a lot today. It's a, like I think a it's stupid a, fan? Maybe. It's an internet term I've seen used usually in the context of uh, K-pop. So you call a person a K-pop stan who is obsessed with gotcha, K-pop. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Anyway, Oscar Isaac is enough to sell me on a movie at this point. Sure, same. So I checked it out. 
It's pretty good. And then you saw Candyman. Yes, as we're keeping with the the so, candy. So was yeah right. Theme. So you saw was that good? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't amazing, but I I am a big fan of both the cast and the crew. Nia DaCosta is great, and I think she's going to do really well with the Marvels. Yeah, the next it's the Captain Marvel sequel that's including. Monica Rambeau and Miss Marvel from the upcoming other Marvel series. Yes. But the thing about the new Candyman, not even like referencing the social commentary, which it wears so far up its sleeve, it's its own wardrobe, um, which is cool. I'm That that wasn't even like my initial thought because Peel scripts are always kind of like that anyway. So but he wrote this? I think he wrote it with Nia DaCosta. Okay, so he co-wrote it. So it's not like and produced, his, yeah. his own thing. Yeah, but I think the inception of the Candyman remake slash sequel, because it is kind of both, because it is a direct sequel, you know, almost 30 years down the line, but it's also reinventing the mythos in a very deliberate way. Mm-hmm. So, and all that came from his mind. I think Jordan Peele was the one that set this movie in motion. Okay. He probably found Nia DaCosta like himself and said, direct this. That's just speculation. That's what it seems like. It's like I said, it's <laughs> it's very clear with its themes. It's about gentrification and... You know, white people basically begging, borrowing, and stealing the art of black people, that sort of thing. Whoa. The movie feels very short. It's only 90 minutes long. Yeah. Which is fine. You can tell it a good tight story in 90 (laughs) minutes. We've seen it done. (laughs) But I think on its own, it does feel like there's maybe 20 minutes that was left on the cutting room floor, probably because studios were like, we need to shave it down even more. For whatever reason, I think this film totally would have been fine with a longer runtime. But also when you're building upon and developing, changing the mythos of an established franchise like Candyman, I think you should take the time to flesh that out more. Mm-hmm. Past that, it was good. It wasn't super scary, but it was very tense. There's some beautiful cinematography in there. Was Yaya good in it? Yeah, he's always great. He's he's so magnetic. He's going to be epic as Morpheus, I think, in the yeah. Matrix 4. I don't think we've done a cast since we saw the Matrix trailer, but I was lamenting to you the loss apparently of Lawrence Fishburne of Lawrence Fishburne but if anyone can fill those shoes it's yeah yeah I wonder if he'll be like if Morpheus in real world is dead or maybe alive but like going into the matrix as Yaya Abdul-Mateen yeah like he exists in matrix as Mm -hmm. that form instead of it has to be something like that yeah I I feel like that's definitely my prevailing theory as well what if the matrix 4 the big reveal is that like the real world after you get pulled out of the matrix is also fake. So you mean like Zion and so, stuff? Yeah. So Neo was never actually, he never actually died, but only died in the second level tier matrix. That would be insane. It's going to be pretty meta. I think whatever it ends up being, but that, that sounds even a little crazy for the Wachowskis to pull off. I don't think so. No, no. This is how he's still alive. It does hearing. seem super self-referential from the trailer. There are shots of, the original Matrix movie being projected onto a display yeah, yeah, <laughs> in the trailer. Yeah. You're like, anyway, it'll be great. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that was Yaya and Candyman. <laughs> so let's talk about Malignant. And then Malignant. What a incredible, bizarre, memorable movie. It's so strange because everything you were just talking about to me, which I'll make you Explain. restate yeah. in a second, <laughs> like made it seem like it wasn't that way. But... Let's talk about who James Wan is really quick. Anyone ever seen a James Wan film? Everybody's probably seen a James Wan film. If you've, yeah, if you've seen 
uh, uh, not Anchorman. <laughs> Anchorman. Aquaman. <laughs> the most recent Aquaman that came out a few Christmases ago. Or he did one, Fast and Furious. But his biggest claim to fame is developing two of the most massive horror franchises of current day, which was Saw. He made the original Saw. I loved the first Saw. The first Saw is great. Yeah. I saw Saw. Did you see Saw? See Saw. I saw Saw. (laughs) And then the Conjuring series, as well as Insidious, which he did not direct the most recent installment of in favor of directing Malignant. So I think he's probably done with the Conjuring. He wants to flex his creative muscles in other ways which he has certainly done with Malignant, and we'll talk about why. So you said that this almost seemed intentionally bad. Yes. Because it was an homage to like the 80s thriller slasher films, like the really bad ones that came out at that time. Yeah. So my first impression of this movie, I'll start by saying it was that it was really, really bad for 80% of it. It was just really hard to watch. What and do, it took what do you me- mean hard to watch? It's just really bad. The script, like and I'll describe. Like, I'll, I'll break down why. Almost like laughing the whole time. Yeah, you, okay. it's so that <laughs> you're not sure the whole time if you're supposed to be laughing or not. Whether it's meant to be played as a black comedy or straight, because it's on. It's very tonally all over the place. It's very unclear, and I'm not the only one that feels this way. <laughs> Both in my theater and on all the digging I've done online, it seems like everybody's having a similar response. Okay. So it was a tonal mess, Uh and I figured sort of like after the first act, I was like 30 or 40 minutes into the movie, and I realized what James Wan was trying to do. He was trying to make, like you said, this homage to all of both the classic yellow slasher films, like Argento's stuff and all that jazz, while you know also giving homage to all the 80s campy action cinema and still doing his own thing. And I think it was the fact that he was still doing his own thing, which made it kind of unclear what was happening the whole time, because it feels like, for the first part of the movie, like you're just watching another Conjuring or Insidious film, but then all these crazy things start happening, and the plot begins to unfurl, and you're just like, what's happening? So that's most of the film. It's a tonal mess, the script is bad, the dialogue is atrocious, and the acting doesn't help. Are they bad actors, or are they just? Is it supposed to be bad? I don't think so. I've seen Annabelle act in other stuff, and I think she's fine. <laughs> but I think the direction was there. I think James Wan pointed these performers in a direction, and said, "We're going for camp. We're going for a very specific style of filmmaking, and I want you to play to that effect." Okay, 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 okay. And then we get to apparently there's this huge twist. Yes, but before I get there, I wanted mention one other thing <laughs> there the pixies where is my mind is a musical recurring motif in this film and it plays at the most strange times like where's at, my mind at the end of the first act <laughs> there's a reveal that uh this isn't like a super critical spoiler um but it's that the main character was adopted and she turns to her sister and explains that she was adopted and there's the delivery was bad, and then it slowly zooms in on the sister's face, and she's just in shock. And then the the soundtrack kicks up, and it's "Where's My Mind" by the Pixies. Uh, is and it the actual Pixies rendition? I think it was a it was an orchestral version okay. that was played uh, to be like kind of an epic moment. <laughs> and you're just like, what do you mean? Wait, this is on HBO Max. It, yeah, it's another one of those HBO Max. So I could, I could go watch it right now. You could. You could whip it up right now. Maybe I will. Or at least for these moments because, okay, anyway, we're, we're going to move towards where this became an iconic film for me. 
and probably will live on as a cult classic because of what James Wan decided to do. Is this for the third act part? Yeah. And here's where the spoilers start. If you don't want to be spoiled on Malignant, I encourage you to go watch the film, not in a theater probably, go watch it on HBO Max, unless you really love where this is going with the way I'm describing it, in which case, go see it. Okay, so audience, listeners of the podcast right now, Gabe has told me everything about the movie that you just heard him say up to this point, and then I made him stop so that I could live react to whatever <laughs> is about to be said, because apparently there's some huge twist so that makes the movie actually sort of redeemed in a kitschy way, I guess. Kind of. And that he said the whole last 30 minutes is like, Ape batshit. Batshit crazy. Insane, yeah. So here's the thing. And so I don't know what he's about to say. I want to make that clear. Steven's about to give you live reacts. (laughs) Or pre-recorded reacts if you're listening to this. We should be streaming on Twitch. We should. (laughs) (laughs) For the big bucks. But before I dig into that, I need to preface it by saying it's not so much that it's a huge twist reveal because James Wan gives you all the pieces. And this is where I think that the brilliance of this film (laughs) comes into play outside of James Wan's camera work, because it's on point as usual, but really the only shining light of this film is that he gives you all the information you need to see this sort of thing coming, but you can't put the last piece of the puzzle together. And I'd be shocked if anyone out there completely knew where this was going without spoilers while they're watching it. Why? Because what I'm about to tell you is so insane to see on the big screen for a wide release, for like a... I wouldn't call this an indie film. I'd call it, it's basically a blockbuster, even though it's not part of an established franchise. This movie has the money and the wide release behind it to give you the impression that what I'm about to tell you wouldn't, you know, realistically happen. In like a Warner Brothers release? Yeah. Okay. So this is the kind of movie that would have been made pretty frequently, like 20, 30, 40 years ago. The kind of movie that was made because you could always justify... You could always reason out a profit on the back end through DVD and VHS sales. Do I need to know anything about the plot? Yeah, I'm just going to give you a a really brief synopsis. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. And again, this is spoilers territory. I encourage you to go watch the film if anything (laughs) I've said so far sounds vaguely interesting. Go ahead. HBO Max has interesting stuff. It does. So basically, this film is about a girl who, over the course of the film, uh, seems to be haunted or something. This is Annabelle Wallace. And the film opens up with her. She's had several miscarriages. She's in an abusive relationship, and her husband uh, like shoves her into a wall, and she hits her head. And this starts off all the plot for the film because there's a manifestation that starts occurring, and it just it basically that night, right off the bat, kills her husband. Oh, damn. Yeah. Wait, the manifestation kills her husband? Yes. Okay. So this manifestation, who will become the malevolent entity of the film... Uh, is the manifestation her? Is, in fact... Kind of. It's, in fact, not a ghost or an apparition. So we're already past the ghost story possession tale that James Wan has done so many times, which is where it's the first clue that we're leaving Wait, did I solid get it, ground. Did I get it right? What? As this manifestation is appearing throughout the film before the twist, are you guessing, like, there's a manifestation her? Or yeah. Or, like, some sort of version ba- of her? Basically. That's, that's the assumption any reasonable okay. person is okay. making at this point. Okay, okay. And that's where everything points to over the course of the film. And you're more and more sure of yourself as you're watching this movie, that there's clearly a split personality thing happening because she hit her head. Okay. So you're thinking it's either one of two things at this point. It's a ghost Mm -hmm. that his, it's a supernatural story, which it still has some of that by the end. uh, And I'll explain why. Or there's literally 
a monster, uh, you know, or it's her mm -hmm. that she's doing these things mm -hmm. because other people can see this thing. Oh. Yeah. It's not just in her head. So the plot continues to unfold. Uh, there are some reveals like she was adopted and she was in like a, a weird psychiatric hospital as a kid because she was having like... Are they going to do like a whole OA thing where it pulls back and you see them filming the movie? Uh, no, they don't, they don't go that meta. Okay. Cause uh, I, I almost was like, <laughs> but in the first I, part of the movie, right now. <laughs> the first part, it's, it's not super meta. It's just, like I said, it's not like a ground, a groundbreaking reveal, but it's just the fact that they had the balls to do this, to like show it. What? Okay. So it, it's like a, it's like a graphic gory thing. It's not like a, a clever turn and twist of the writing. Okay. Uh, anyway, I forgot to mention the very beginning of this film, it, it opens with, like a very conjuring opening sequence where it's like uh, this dark entity is like lashing out in the psychiatric ward, like back in time. So it's a bit of a flashback. So this entity, this monster, I'll just call it a monster from now on, is somehow tied to our main character. And over the course of the film, it causes more mayhem and it's hunting down individuals. Uh, the doctors from that flashback 30 years ago who were uh, apparently keeping the monster inside the facility and like doing tests on it and shit before the doctors tried to, to do, kill do they it. they show you the monster? Yeah, but it's seen only as a shroud or a silhouette until later in the film where it becomes a more humanoid figure. And the more you see of it, the more you think, oh, it's actually real. And it, it's, it's a pretty visually distinct sort of effect too. The monster is uh, like basically a person in a trench coat that moves backwards. Is this the reveal? No, we're getting there. Okay. But so <laughs> I'm just teasing you. I'm, ed I'm edging you to the point where this is just probably going to be a letdown. I watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. You should. <laughs> but it's more funny to talk about it. It's a monster that moves backwards. Yeah. And so you're thinking, oh, maybe our monster is our main character. And she's like having a fugue state where she slips into this alternate personality uh, and, go com and goes to commit these crimes, even though we've seen her interact with the monster and yada yada. And then there's a sequence where the monster's running away from our cop character who's like investigating the murders and there's like a fight. All this leads towards our reveal, which is at this point in we're opening the third act, our heroine is heroine. brought into the police station and she's become the lead suspect because a woman was just found in her attic who crashes down through the floor amongst like the policeman and his partner meeting with Annabelle to try to figure out what's going on. So she's brought in as a prime suspect and you're still thinking maybe there's a split personality thing. You're wondering what malignant means because there's some kind of like correlation with the title and like a tumor maybe. You're trying to put all these pieces together in your mind. And then we see through a series of videotapes that the sister uncovers what the true nature of this entity is. And it is very brazenly shown, and I'll explain to you now, to the best of my ability, what, what the twist is. You're killing me, Small. <laughs> <laughs> we open on McKenna Grace, who is the go-to actress for young, young. disturbed individuals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She plays the younger version of our main character here. And we see her in the psychiatric ward in this home video that the doctors took. And it slowly pans around her. And we see on the back of McKenna Grace is this... Oh, no super fucked up Siamese twin on her backside and it's just wreathing and it's writhing like an insect and it's just like 
And that's just the body, like exposed rib cage, spindly arms, everything. And this, the face is hideously deformed. It's like a slug. It's just, it's absolutely <laughs> balls to the wall insane. So now everything in this moment is clicking for you while you're shocked. You're in disbelief watching Because you're this. watching something crazy. You've like, you've probably, unless you were like alive 40 years ago and watching that classic 80s, 90s, shitty, campy action sci-fi movies, you know, like RoboCop and that sort of thing. This is not something you've probably seen since then on the big screen. Okay. Or at least like you didn't think it would happen here, you know, because this, this seems like a very run-of-the-mill bad horror film at this point. But sure. we, we see this happen. McKenna Grace, poor thing, she's just sitting there with this absolute hideous demonic creature sprouting out of her backside. And then it cuts back to current day. Uh, our hero is in jail basically she's being held in in the prison in the female ward and as soon as this reveal happens she's all of a sudden being accosted by the other female inmates because that's what happens in prison and they throw up a wall and she hits her head again which is the triggering moment for the entity to take control okay annabelle i keep forgetting what her character's name is but it's she slips back into a fugue state the entity wakes up on her backside, who has been hiding underneath her head of hair this whole time, sprouts out of the skull. The skull splits. Entity sprouts. And Annabelle now starts, like, walking towards the other female inmates <laughs> backwards. Because this is how the creature moves. It's her reverse, basically. It's her inverse. And she proceeds to slaughter everybody in there. There's, like, 20 female inmates in the cell. And she kills them all brutally. Like, it's it's high gore. Holy cow. It's like vintage gore. And then she gets out of there, and she kills the entire police department. <laughs> in one of the most incredible sequences I've seen, in terms of, like, practical... It was, I think it was mostly practical. I don't know how they did it. But she is backwards, kung fu, gun, kata, fighting <laughs> the entire police force by herself, brutally murdering everybody in the building. It's like, it feels like the Matrix one in the sense of like, it's just an action sequence. Like when they're assaulting the tower to save Morpheus. Yeah. That's what it feels like. And then our main cop character rolls out. He's like, what, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. You just looked at it. Steven just pulled up the scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It looks like Voldemort. Sort it's of. so fucking, yeah, it is. Like it's Voldemort. When they turn around and Professor Coral and it's Voldemort in the backside. That's exactly it. what it is. Only more hideous somehow. Uh, so then she's pretty ugly. So Annabelle has been the monster the whole time. And what happens is there's like a mind palace thing going on where the entity can. Dr <laughs> I'm sorry. You're just watching it now. Oh, that is totally from Twin Peaks. Yeah. It's paying homage to so many different things. Like that movie. literally looked like Laura Palmer. Yeah. Yeah. You're seeing now where she stands up. But everything's backwards. Like her joints unlock and and reset to be something that can be used backwards. Wait, that came out of her brain. Yeah, her brain is like her tumor. Her body is being shared, like it's Siamese twin style. But that. But when when McKenna Grace was a kid, they tried to remove all that shit from her, but they couldn't completely remove the brain. Or they had to stuff the subconscious in there. <laughs> it's such an incredible sequence. This is t terrible. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I, it's horrifying. This is what made the movie oh worth it. Oh, my gosh. Stabbed her. Yeah, okay. Anyway, 
I just have to run through the end of the film real quick. Okay. Uh, as I was saying, the the <laughs> talk about like campy horror. It's you know? so it's perfect because this is where it becomes. It's like oh, this is what we're doing. It's supposed to be campy and right, shit. Right. Uh, but the action's great. Like the action's quality. So the entity, I think his name is Simeon or something. I can't remember. He suppresses Annabelle's subconscious uh, and disguises her surroundings, so she thinks she's in control of her body where it's actually the monster, which is how he goes out and just kills people. And that's what you see here in the last 30 minutes of the movie. Takes Mon- place in Seattle. Uh, yeah, I think so. Cause the Seattle underground is one of the set pieces, but so the monster's in control of the body escapes the police station after murdering the entire police force, single handedly defunding the police. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it goes to fulfill its final act of vengeance against both its mother and everyone you know who scorned it 30 years ago. The, the mother is revealed to be the woman who had fallen through the floor, which causes Annabelle to be you know, sent to jail. So he's going there to kill her because she never wanted the baby anyway. Oh. oh, yes, you're watching the scene now. Just killing everybody. Well, she's got like a coat on now. Yeah, her murder weapon of choice, which is very much you know, part of the inspiration of the movie, is this dagger. Oh my god, this is ridiculous. Yeah, it's This is actually Imagine like watching this in a ridiculous. theater. Everybody's enjoying themselves at this point. <laughs> if you're still watching Malignant at minute 130, then you're in it for the long haul. Oh my gosh. I don't understand how the form in McKenna Grace looked more personified and like the back of her actually actually like a part of her like skin. Yeah. And this is just popping out of her brain. Well, after that sequence with McKenna Grace, the doctors go in and remove all that. Oh. Except for part of the brain, which oh. they couldn't without oh. killing McKenna. So they bury it in the skull. Gotcha. So what sets all this in motion is her hitting her head after her sure, husband hit sure. her. And that resurfaces the subconscious. But anyway, she goes fun. to kill the mom. It sounds fun. It looks the, fun. Doesn't succeed in killing the mom and the sister because Annabelle is able to wrestle control via, I guess, her affection for her sister because her sister is like her one human connection that's her reoccurring thing is, right uh and she wrestles control she buries the monster back into her subconscious and is now in control of her body again i don't know what she's gonna do because she's still she's still technically responsible for killing a shit ton of people by the end of the movie <laughs> i just it's playing right now in the yeah. background we're just kind of watching it unfold. We're watching it on HBO Max while we're recording, so I'm reacting, and Gabe's still trying to tell the story. <laughs> and that's that's basically it. I will probably be thinking about this film from time to time for the rest of my life. Yeah, totally. And, uh, yeah, it's so funny when it ends. It's another one of those moments where you, you can tell by the end it's meant to be intentional comedy. Okay. The cop and his partner are about to escape. We're watching it right now. <laughs> And the monster is, like, about to leave. Spider crawling. Yeah. But in this single last act of spiteful vengeance, he throws a chair (laughs) across the room to hit the cop and his partner, and then he just leaves. (laughs) (laughs) The monster doesn't finish the job. He just wanted to say it was one last F.U. to the cop, and then he leaves to go fulfill his mission. This is insane. Yeah. Like I said, once, once you get to the end of the movie, it becomes... Not a good movie, but it becomes a movie that's like, okay, I see what I think J- James Wan was doing here. He was trying to make something intentionally, like, basically shitty, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And I, 
love it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hated it until the reveal. Sure. And then it was like, okay. And then 30 minutes of insane shit happens. Sure. And you're like, now we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could totally see that. So has he been interviewed on this yet? Like, do people actually know, like, hey, were you intentionally trying to make it bad? <laughs> like, has he been asked that question? I don't know. I'm still reeling from the experience of watching it in a theater. I haven't actually looked it up. That was pretty wild just now. But I will, uh, and yeah, you've, you've seen a few minutes and you're in shock now too. I'm, yeah. And I, I, you know, I've been a sucker for the, that, that campy style of action or horror from yesteryear. So it worked for me. Uh, probably a lot of people are going to see this and just think it's utter trash and just not understand what James Wan was trying to do. I will say, I, I'm sorry to see his regular style of filmmaking go. Cause I think he's done with conjuring and conjuring three. I might've mentioned on the cast yeah, before he, he clearly suffered from his absence. Well, he's filming Aquaman 2 right now. In fact, I think they're almost done filming Aquaman 2. Yeah. I'm happy he's still in the Marvel game, or not the Marvel game, the DC game. <laughs> Comic book movie game. Yeah. Uh, but that, yeah, that was Malignant. That was his little indie darling that he got to make. Not an Do indie darling. you know darling. the budget? I don't. You could probably just Google it, but I'm pretty sure it was pennies on the dollar compared to your standard blockbuster a lot of these horror movies are really cheap to make oh 40 million that's not bad there you go this movie also like had the marketing where literally the logo was the exact same style and logo as the stranger things logo which also is the exact same style and logo of many past 80s thriller horror slasher films so yeah and literally it, had the <laughs> exact same like i don't know what it is like a font or design style yeah, it was definitely capitalizing on that. Yeah. The, the trailers were not good either. The only reason I went to see this in a theater was because I saw a couple people online say, this movie's weird, and in the last 30 minutes, it just gets crazy. And that's why I was like, I've seen a few movies. Some of my Sounds fav- good. <laughs> some of my favorite movies in, in that way, so I, I had to go check it out, and sure. I'm glad I did. Sure. I'm glad I did. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever record the Evangelion podcast? Ooh, I would like to. <laughs> We've been building up anticipation via Evangelion podcast in our minds. Not yeah. No one else knows what we're planning. Yeah, that's true. It's like no one cares anyway. What kind of song should we play right here? Or like, should it just... We need to play Where's My Mind. Okay. <laughs> if, if I can find the rendition from the film, we have... It's such a weird, bizarre theme for like a horror film because it's kind of like anthemic and so out of place. Anyway, I'll find that for you. Okay. We'll play it here here's where's my mind apparently in the back of your brain yeah it was there the whole time